Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Beast, the first book in the Banneker Bones trilogy. Uh, that is available in uh, paperback, audiobook, and ebook is free. Free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, two 11-year-old boy detectives uh, who fight all kinds of monsters. Uh, it's a good time. Enjoy the series. Uh, under the super-secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written uh, horror novels for older readers, such as my young adult novel, All Together Now, a Zombie Story. Uh, it's a companion piece, so I'll write now a short story. And the five-volume serial horror novel, The Book of David, which is absolutely nuts. And the nice thing about having written a book about the apocalypse is now that I'm living through an apocalypse, I get to see oh, how close was I. Ah, a little bit off so far. We'll see how it comes out. Uh, but if you're curious about that, The Book of David is about an atheist that purchases a haunted house that then begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. It is crazy. It is fun. We're going to be talking a lot about mythology tonight, and it's two of my favorite mythologies. Uh, American Christianity featuring a white Jesus. Uh, I'll spoil it. He's a character in the story. White Jesus with blonde hair, blue eyes, everything you expect from American Christianity mytholo-gy. And then American uh, UFO mythology which I never get tired of. And you better believe we hit all the important points. Is there reference to lizard people? My God, of course. What would even be the point of bringing up UFO mythology without lizard people? Uh, so it's fun. If you're curious about that, The Book of David by Robert Kent. Uh, the first book, Chapter One, is available uh, as a paperback. And the audiobook uh, is narrated on this podcast by me. You can listen to that for free or you can get the ebook for free. Uh, that feels like plenty. Uh, as always, head to middlegradeninja.com. Check out what's going on with me, what's going on with the show. Read hundreds of interviews with uh, literary agents, authors, editors, folks you'd find interesting. Uh, and that, that's all the announcements we've got time for. My God, Eddie Sullivan is back. But I'm not sure why. I feel like we nailed this last time around, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We did. It was one and done. But then I wrote more books. And so I was like, oh, I guess I guess I'll come back since we had so much fun last time. No, I am thrilled that you came back. I'm very excited uh, to talk to you. I know that we're going to top it. Although, if the esteemed audience wanted, they could go back to episode 40. Uh, start at the beginning because I'm going to do my best to steer us clear of topics we already covered. You're going to hear the world's most amazing master class on uh, author publicity and promotion. Uh, I, in fact, I, I uh, clipped that separate on YouTube, and I link to that when I teach classes. When people have additional questions for me about promotion, I've never heard it better than when Andy Sullivan uh, explained it, and we did a deep dive on that. So check out episode 40. Uh, Andy, remind uh, esteemed audience who you are. Yeah, guys, I'm Annie Sullivan. I'm the author of several young adult fantasy books. My first book, A Touch of Gold, came out in 2018. It's about the cursed daughter of King Midas, who faces pirates, betrayers, and thieves on her quest to get her father's gold back when it gets stolen. Uh, my next book, Tiger Queen, just came out last year in 2019. It's a retelling of the infamous short story, The Lady or the Tiger, about a warrior princess who fights suitors in an arena to win her right to rule. And then my third book, which is a sequel to my first book, A Touch of Gold, called A Curse of Gold, is coming out September 22nd. And you can pre-order it right now and you'll follow uh, Princess, uh, Princess Cora as she um, faces off against the 
trickiest god the world or the underworld has ever known as she tries to break the curse um, of the touch of gold. And so obviously my most burning question for you is Tiger King. Uh, is that like a curse <laughs> or a blessing when you're marketing a book titled Tiger Queen? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I've set up some Google alerts for all of my titles. Um, for any of you listeners who aren't familiar with those, you can type in any sort of words that you want Google to find on the internet. And if there's a new article or news story that features those words, it sends you an email being like, hey, those words you thought um, you wanted to follow are, are in this article. And every article I get now is Tiger Queen Carol Baskin, Tiger Queen Carol Baskin. And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Like, this is not helpful. And it doesn't help that um, for my release party for Tiger Queen, I had a giant, like, life-size tiger cake. Like, it was a tiger-shaped cake. It is amazing. You can check it out on my Instagram. Um, my son and, ate three pieces. It was yes. amazing. Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> so good. by Classic Cakes, um, Bakery in Carmel, Indiana. Who? Shout out. Um, and someone saw a picture of that quite recently when um, actually the bakery was kind of having an anniversary. They posted a picture, or maybe I did. And someone was like, is that a young Carol Baskins with a tiger? And I was like, okay, great. Now I'm getting called Carol Baskin. Like, oh, man. So it's been, it's been a fun ride seeing Tiger Queen. I just want to, like, start Photoshopping him into my, like, promotional images and be like, did you like Tiger King? Then check out Tiger Queen. It's got an even better plot. You should, and you should, uh, you should dress up like Carol Baskin, and somebody <laughs> will pick will pick that up and run with it. <laughs> I do. I mean, if you know anything about me, I'm a little bit famous for how many costumes I have as well. I have an inflatable, like individual riding a tiger costume, so it's like an inflatable. It looks like you're like riding a tiger, and I'm like man, I should just dress up like Carol Baskin and ride that inflatable tiger and just like hold my book up and see so many marketing ideas that I just don't even have time for sometimes. So maybe <laughs> while in quarantine, you guys will start following my Instagram and you'll be like, she did it. She dressed up like Carol Baskin. So well, I'm going to say your uh, social media has been inspirational during uh, quarantine. <laughs> I saw you walking around your neighborhood in a, a T-Rex costume. Yes, I have an inflatable T-Rex. I just debuted the inflatable um, Triceratops, which is like four times bigger. It is amazing. Um, yeah, they've got some really cool ones out there. I've got an inflatable alien one, alien one that has not made its debut yet. Um, the only problem is it's getting a little hot here in Indiana, and those costumes, like, you start to roast very quickly. So, alien, like, uh, versus Ripley or other kind yeah. of alien? It's actually, I, I, I would want to say like, oh, everyone probably saw these ads on Facebook, but I'm realizing they probably didn't because most people probably aren't shopping for lots of inflatable costumes. Uh, so they're no, everybody else is buying toilet paper and canned foods and you're trying to find <laughs> inflatable costumes. I know. Oh, I saw one the other day. I can't remember what it was. And I was like, oh, I should get it. And then I was like, no, it's a pandemic. I should save my money. And then I was like, oh, man. Um, but no, it's... Um, it's like a big alien is behind you and your head is sticking out of like a small human body that the alien is like carrying. So it looks like it's an alien abduction and the alien is running off with you. And it's, it's fun. I'll try to like post some pictures guys. And you can just be like, wow, Annie's weird. 
but that's okay. I've heard that before from my family. Oh, fantastic. So. When, uh, when can we expect that to make its official social media debut? Are you well, like I, counting down to a date? Uh, I don't know. I feel like I should just get it out there then at some point. Um, it's a really, it's actually, I'll let you know a secret. I actually bought three of them because my grand plan was to have two other people at work for our work Halloween party dress up. And then we would all run through and pretend we were being abducted by aliens. Um, because, you know, it looks way better if there's multiple aliens. Um, so I'll have to do that as, like, a fan giveaway of, like, um, you know, come be an alien for a day with Annie Sullivan. Like, <laughs> I'm sure that'll be a big, big seller. is <laughs> out of this world. <laughs> yes, yes. Actually, I think I did do, I think I did do a piece where um, there might be one on Instagram in that costume from a while ago. That was like Tiger Queen is out of this world. It was something like that. I'm if we find it. it, find it, send it to me. I will replace your author headshot with that picture. <laughs> and that's what we'll use for the post. <laughs> awesome. Okay, I'm going to find it. I know it's there somewhere. So I'm going to look for it. I was, uh, we were talking before, but uh, before we started recording, I was listening to our previous episode, episode 40, esteemed audience, available now. It's incredible. Make it a double feature. Um, but during that episode, I thought it was so prescient because you uh, talked at length about how you were, you had an aspiring recluse, and that if you had the opportunity, if you could have food delivery, you'd be happy to go away for at least six months at a time, maybe come out to travel. So here we are. Uh, it's July 14th, 2020 is when we're recording this. Um, so how's quarantine working out for you? <laughs> you know, I'm doing very well, I think, compared to most people. As I was telling you, you know, it's July 14th. I have not been in a single other building besides my parents' house since March 9th. So no stores, no doctor's appointments, nothing. Um, so I always joked growing up with my mom, I was like, I'm going to be a hermit when I grow up. And she was like, no, Annie, you're not. And I was like, just watch me, you know. Um, and she was like, right, whatever. And now I'm like, look at me, living my best life. Like, um, so I mean, <laughs> like I do, I get food delivered, anything I need. I just order it offline. Um, yeah, so I'm... I'm making it through, I think, a lot better than most people. Um, plus, you know, I've got a super active imagination. So that keeps me busy, busy you know, keeps me writing, keeps me thinking. Um, I'm not really tethered to one place. That probably sounds weird, but like I can go anywhere I want in my mind and just be in that world for a while and think about that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it's just, so you're just kind of following your bliss. I assume you're working from home. Uh, yes. part-time or at least part-time as well then yeah still working from home full-time um for those of you who are curious I work at Wiley Publishing they do the dummies books so like computers for dummies raising dogs for dummies I'm on their content marketing team um so all those fun emails you get they're like have you used your 20% off coupon like I get to write those <laughs> um, really at the bottom of every email just to annoy people less you should put from the author of Tiger Queen <laughs> oh well <laughs> right? <laughs> too bad every email has to go through like 20 different steps but i should like sneak it in there at the bottom and just be like what what do you mean we can't add that like of course we can <laughs> what uh, impressed customers oh. I, I bet you'd uh, sell more of, of whatever why the whatever books why is actually trying to move <laughs> right right i know i mean we we reach out to a lot of teachers so i should just start sticking in there and be like 
man, you tired of teaching calculus? Why not teach Tiger Queen? I've got teacher's guides available on my website. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's an ethics question that uh, we can cut this out if it's terrible. Um, (laughs) But uh, you don't ask, you don't get. Uh, Is there an ethics breach if you take some of those email addresses that you're sending out for Wiley and send, I mean, you're already sending them stuff about books? I think Probably it would be a bad move. Yeah, they they opted into Wiley's email and they haven't opted into like my personal email, so I think I would come, probably get in a lot of trouble for that. That's why I would get fired from Wiley. It's good. <laughs> 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 I would love to send them emails, but no, I'd I'd rather keep my job. So <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's important. Uh, and uh, we were talking before about uh, staying in and i know that we're i'm frustrated by the number of uh americans who are just not reading the news i was telling you about uh my son and i finally got sick of quarantine because we've been um home uh we haven't been interacting with people for four months uh and we just took a drive just to keep the car running make sure it's you know still capable of of leaving (laughs) should the need arise and we drove around and we drove by our local pool and we saw that there were tons of people in it. We saw that um, uh, that there were people in line, a long line for a carousel. We saw um, people just not social distancing. We saw crowded picnic tables. It was a beautiful summer day here in Indiana. Uh, and then I came home feeling like the conspiracy theorist. I had to reread some articles about COVID-19. I didn't make that up, right? There is an infectious... <laughs> disease uh, sweeping the country, and I know you're taking this more seriously than most. Um, well, you, you, I'm not going to explain your your condition to you. you tell us. <laughs> yes, um, I know most people are like Annie. Wow, you're an extreme hermit, and I am. I am high risk, um, and so I think that is a factor. I have asthma. I've had it since I was born, and I was kind of talking with you earlier about this. Um, but asthma is one of the reasons I became a writer um, because when I was younger, I had to have breathing machine treatments every couple of hours. Um, And so it it was a very loud machine. It still is a loud machine. Um, But it it was hard because I couldn't like hear the TV or anything over it because it was so loud. Um, So what my mom would do is she'd read to me because she kind of sat behind me and and read into my ear. Um, I could hear what she was reading. And so stories were always um, a way for me to escape as a child. I wasn't that sick kid tethered to machine. I was Harry Potter under the stairs. I was um, a hobbit on an adventure. I was a princess. I was, you know, a thief. I was whatever it was. Um, those stories came alive to me. And I think that's why I love to write fantasy. I love to write about a place where you can escape to because that's what reading was for me. It was a way to escape um, this reality that that can be very harsh. It is still harsh even to this day. And everyone needs to, to be able to take a step back um, and find somewhere to escape to and hopefully come back a little bit stronger, a little bit more ready to face the world and its problems after seeing some of your favorite characters do that and so that's why I strive to write the stories that I do um and that's why yeah I hope everyone does wear masks so guys because I won't be around to um (laughs) to write stories if you guys don't because yeah I mean I grew up having an asthma attack probably one or two times a year um and often end up in the hospital which I hated it's probably why I still hate hospitals to this day um, hate needles, all that kind of stuff, um, because I had to deal with it so often as a kid. Um, and yeah, it was, it was rough at times, you know, even going on family vacations, we would have to stop at like a McDonald's back in the day, back in like the nineties guys, um, and use 
use their like their plugs because nowhere had plugs back in the day either. So um, if we we're on a road trip, we just be like pop into a McDonald's, be like, I'd have to go behind the counter to the kitchen area and actually like plug my machine in. Um, and you somebody might have been using a pay phone. It was a different world. <laughs> <laughs> right? It was such a different time back then. Now, now get this, they have like portable nebulizer machines. And I'm like, what? I have one, but it's not as good. So I always end up just like taking my my big one with me usually when I go some because I, I travel a lot. So um I always have like my portable one with me. If I'm like at a book event, it's probably back in my suitcase at the hotel. Like, don't leave home without it. What's um I'm just thinking kudos to your mom uh, for reading into your ear and, and getting you getting a book because you couldn't watch TV. If she'd been like, here, take this Game Boy or DS. I can't remember what was popular in the early 90s. I'm an old man. I don't remember what came out when. But if she handed you just Mario and said, shut up, kid. <laughs> but hey, I, now I could be like, I could be a, um, you know, computer genius or something or video game like master instead. But no, it was reading. So. I don't think that's the path that, that necessarily follows from that. Oh, Mario at a young age, <laughs> computer genius it is. <laughs> if only. <laughs> right, if only. Man, I played enough Mario as a kid anyway, you know, between two brothers who wanted to play like Super Smash Brothers all the time, which I'll just let you guys in on a secret. My strategy was always to just run away and hide until they both killed each other. And then I automatically came in <laughs> second at least. That has always been my plan. Like, I was terrible as a kid at fighting in those games. So, I don't know. I know last time uh, we talked, you enthralled me with your death-defying stunts. You you went uh, cage diving with great white sharks. You went to Antarctica. You you reached every uh, continent but one. Is that still true? No. Yeah, I've been I've been to every continent. So. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah, you hit yeah, them all now. So, like, asthma has not so you down. <laughs> Doesn't seem like. <laughs> uh, I know. I just that's the sad thing. It's like I love to travel. I would love to get out there and travel right now, but obviously, I'm not going anywhere. But we did. We were in. Um, we went on a big trip to India in December. So that was kind of nice that we had just kind of gotten back from that when coronavirus had started. So. Slipped yeah. them under the wire. <laughs> yeah oh definitely i mean yeah we were i can't remember i think we flew through like hong kong and stuff like we were all in the areas that got like pretty heavily hit like a month before the u.s did and i'm like oh man how do and we were on a cruise too so i'm like oh if we'd been like two or three weeks later like who knows what would have happened but you know there by the grace of god go i so wow that's getting it close <laughs> yeah yeah now that i look back on it i'm like Ooh, okay. Well, that was interesting, but we made it. We had a wonderful time. Um, it was awesome. So, so got you to see the Taj Mahal. Oh yeah. Yeah, super cool. You guys, pictures do not do it justice. Like, they just don't. Like, I thought it was just like all white, right? Like, it just like looks like it's this all white building. It is not. It has tons of like inlaid marble motifs just running all up and down it of flowers, and I was like, what? Who knew? I'm sure other people knew, but you know, us Americans like privilege for you, and now you're one of them. <laughs> yes, yes, oh yes. Traveling is, is such a privilege and something I take very seriously and save my money to do because I'm like, as an author, I love to just I see I love to see new places. You know, 
um, see how people interact with each other, um, just to even see new people and be like, what does their face look like? What does their nose look like? You know, anything like that, that I can beg, borrow or steal and put in my book, you know? So how are you substituting that now? Uh, with just like <laughs> YouTube videos and <laughs> virtual visits. <laughs> Does crying count? <laughs> no, I was telling you, I set up this like awful inflatable pool for my nieces and nephews in my backyard. And it's, um, it's like 12 foot around and only like two feet high. And plus it like slants. So it's not even straight, but whatever. Um, and that that is my beach vacation is this awful 12 foot pool <laughs> that, you know, can't even stand up straight, but it's fine. It, it works. <laughs> I just pretend I pretend I'm floating at the beach. Hey, that's uh, that's going to have to do it this year, unfortunately. We're, right? we're doing trampoline right. vacations oh. <laughs> here at Casa Vaca. We've got a, yep. a sprinkler that we put under the trampoline. Um, that was a tip from uh, Claire Soros, I believe, uh, on, a, on a previous episode. So well appreciated. Get a, a sprinkler under a trampoline. Ah, that's the greatest time ever when you're six. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Oh, see, my dad, the attorney, we were not allowed to have a trampoline growing up. So I always wanted one so badly, so badly. I guess just just because really... he'd seen um, yeah, so many like injuries and things and yeah, lawsuits over it. Like if you have a friend come over and that friend gets injured, then we can be sued. Like, you know, we always had to think about things in terms of, can we be sued for doing this? And if the answer was yes, then we're not going to do it. So. <laughs> That's probably uh... a good policy. <laughs> right. I mean, it's good. But at the time I was like, it's a trampoline. It's going to be fine. Like. I also well, it's like, a safety net on phone. ours, and nobody can come over now, so... I mean, it didn't stop me from doing gymnastics on a trampoline, but I actually almost kind of, like, broke my neck doing that, so it's fine. You could have sued somebody. That would have been... Right? I know. I <laughs> could have got set for life. Oh, yes. 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 If only, you know... No. <laughs> no, I'm much happier how I am and yeah, I appreciate the use of all my limbs. I'm very grateful that I can move them. Well, at some point I'm gonna ask you about doing in-person promotion versus now promoting during quarantine, but that'll be the tease. We won't cover social media again because by God, we just <laughs> nailed that in episode 40. Uh, track that down, esteemed audience. But for right now, I'll tease that. Probably the best place uh, to get going is tell us about the series, uh, Curse of Gold, out September 22nd, available for pre-order now. And the first book, Touch of Gold, which I've just enjoyed uh, and highly recommend. It's perfect uh, when there's a series, because I can read the first book, and I know I'm not going to spoil the second book. <laughs> I guess yes. I'm not far enough along to give anything away yet. <laughs> yes. No, this is a series that kind of um, was born out of a couple different inspirations. One of them was the movie Pirates of the Caribbean always loved that, you know, growing up. And it got me thinking about cursed gold and how they had to track down every single piece. And I was like, man, what if you didn't have to track it down? What if you could like absorb it or transfer it or do something in a different way? And that got me thinking about King Midas. And so then I really wanted to talk about his daughter because in the original myths, she's just a means to an end. She's a forgotten character who exists only so that we realize that, oh man, King Midas was really stupid for asking for the power to turn things to gold because 
he turned his daughter to gold. So, you know, uh-huh, my you first, got it, <laughs> right, right, like, look what you did. So I was like, man, if she was able to return to life, like, what kind of life would that be? What side effects would she have? Are they magical side effects? Are they mental side effects, physical side effects? Like what, what would happen in that story? And so I really wanted to take a look at that. And so uh, it just kind of evolved from there, but it also involves Greek mythology. Um, you know, it's got sirens, it's got Greek gods. And, and the second book even has way more Greek mythology than the first one. So I'm super excited. I love to take Greek mythology, like what you know or what you think you know, and just presenting it with a little bit of a different twist, you know? So like, oh, I thought I knew about that, but let me just like a different origin story or something to make it new and exciting for readers. Can you give us a little tease about what myths you might be borrowing from, or is that a spoiler? I'll give, I'll give you, I'll give you one. Um, okay. Okay. So probably my favorite one is coming up in A Curse of Gold. Um, there's two. There's there's a, a god that makes an appearance in that book that love it, love that one. And then um, Medusa's not there, but uh, some gorgons might show up. And you might just find out what happens um, if someone who can turn things instantly to gold when they touch it comes up with someone who, when they stare at you, turns you instantly to stone. So finally perfect. solve that That's riddle. That's a perfect matchup. Of what <laughs> happens when those two meet up. So um, be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for more uh, tricky gods um, and a lot more curses than you might think. I'll I'll leave it there, but some uh, some fun That's, things are coming. If, if, if I had to guess, I'd, I'd imagine maybe a little bit of romance. We'll we'll see. Uh, I mean, maybe. I mean, what's the story without romance, right? So, high seas adventure. Um, yeah, lots of good stuff in that one. I'm, I'm super excited about. It. I think fans will will really like it, or I hope they will at least. And then um, this is you. I mean, you 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 must love to do retellings. Of course, we, we talked previously, Tiger Queen uh, is a, a sort of retelling, reimagining of the, the Lady of the Tiger. Uh, and what is it about retellings that, that excites you, that gets you interested? I mean, I think these are the stories that I grew up with. And so I love them at such a deep level. Again, you know, they're so personal to me. There's something that, you know, got me through childhood. Um, I still still dream that I'm like going to be a Disney princess one day, even though like I don't go out in nature much, obviously, because I'm a hermit. Um, so I can't have like a flock of like helpful pigeons or something. Coming a hermit princess. Yeah, a flock, <laughs> flock of pigeons. That was, or no, that was gargoyles was uh, for Quasimodo. Oh. Not not a princess, but you know, a star. <laughs> okay, I just got compared to Quasimodo, you guys. No, just the hermit part. Just the hermit we started with Carol Baskin. We moved to Quasimodo. I usually don't compliment the guest appearances, but now I feel obligated. Annie Sullivan, you are a very attractive Hoosier. We thank no, you for that, no. folks. <laughs> don't worry. I've got a good sense of humor. Don't worry. I can handle being Quasimodo. It's fine. Um, wait, now Just I don't in know the where <laughs> It's okay. I actually am much more like Quasimodo than, than I realize. <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, oh man, yeah. I just want like a couple like cool friends to hang out with me in my like isolated tower where COVID-19 can't come in. Like, let's do that. Um, but yeah, so I love retellings. Um, I love, again, I'm one of four kids. So like, I love thinking about like forgotten characters because 
Um, spoiler alert, I've always forgot, I've always felt like a forgotten middle child. But since there are four of us, I have to like share being a middle child. So I get even less attention than like a normal middle child. Um, yeah, I know. Welcome to my life. You don't even get your own angst. You have to share that with someone. <laughs> right? Right? My mom's out there playing like a tiny violin. Like no one cares. You, you were very loved. And I was, I was very loved. Um, you know, my, my parents loved me very much. Um, but I've always like felt drawn to these characters who are kind of like forgotten. They're just like plopped into a, a story and like you never hear about them. So I love to just see where their stories go. And, you know, as an author and as a writer, one of your most powerful questions is what if? What if this happened? What if I told the story from King Midas's daughter's point of view? You know, what if Cinderella never made it to the ball? What if this or that or that happened instead? Like you can take that question and just turn it into an entire story idea. Um, and so that's, that's what I love. Um, I am working on something new. I won't make any promises and I'm, I'm not going to go into it, but it is not a retelling. It's just completely new YA fantasy. Um, so I can do both, but retellings just have a special place in my heart because they also allow me to kind of create stories for today's modern readers. You know, we take, um, fairy tales where maybe there's a princess like Aurora in the original Disney movie gets like 18 lines total. Um, really? and I want to say, yeah, yeah, you can, you can Google it. I think she gets 18 lines in the entire, what, hour and a half, hour for five minutes, however long in this movie, right? Um, I want to give modern day readers role models that they can look up, up to and be like, man, look at that princess. Um, and that's kind of the, the interesting thing to, I'll say too, is, you know, in Tiger Queen, Princess Kateri is very much like, she is a warrior princess. She will beat you down. She was practically born with a sword in her hand, Right. Whereas Princess Cora in A Touch of Gold is much softer. Um, she kind of has to find her inner strength. And so I want to kind of say like, hey, you don't have to have a sword in your hand to be a strong female character. You can be smart. You can be witty. You can be funny. You can, you know, do all these different things and still be a strong female character. And so it's kind of taking these original myths, just kind of turning them on their head a little bit and saying like, you know, instead of, hey, Little Red Riding Hood, make sure you stay on the path and you have to be careful at saying, Hey, little bit riding hood, here's a sword. Go out there and walk down that path and kill the wolf if he comes along because you are capable and you can do it. Um, and so that's kind of what I want to do is reintroduce these these stories with just a new little twist of saying like, yeah, kind of like girl power. You got this. Well, get in a high stakes fight with the wolf, but if you kill the wolf, <laughs> <laughs> you could you could badly wound it. But maybe maybe it's the wolf sons that that comes back and out of revenge eats grandma. That could that could be the twist. <laughs> right right yes yes oh i've tried to write like six different red riding hood retellings and i get like a couple chapters in and i'm like nah, that didn't quite work that's nah, not the right world that's not the right character maybe someday but i feel like that one um more so than other myths has been retold um i don't know why because it's a, i wouldn't put it up there as like the absolute best ones because i don't think little red riding hood has that much cleverness <laughs> oh, your your teeth are so large, Grandma. That's that's the cleverness. Okay, she can she can properly identify a wolf. Oh, well. <laughs> She's really good at stating the obvious. Okay. <laughs> Grandma, I noticed you're in a bed. That's a place where folks sleep. <laughs> well spotted, Red. Glad to keep you around. <laughs> you know what? I I take it back. This this story needs your retelling. You need to give Little Red Riding Hood uh, something more to her, to her character. 
right? She needs a little bit more agency. She needs something going on there. She needs she needs some some help. Also, the wolf should be a robot, and that's it. I'll leave the rest of your hands. <laughs> <laughs> always, always glad to be of use. <laughs> So when you're uh, when you're doing one of these uh, retellings, um, what do you want to do? Just how do you stay true to the original myth while still telling your story? How do you determine what it's okay to change? Is it cool to make the wolf a robot? Is that going too far? That is not going too far at all. I think you always want to do something that goes almost a little too far, right? Because you want it to be different enough from that that first myth. Like you want the bones to be there per se, but you want something new right there's no reason for someone to read your retelling if it's a blow by blow of the original story right and I mean there are different ways you can kind of do it and and mess with things like you can put it in different setting you can put it in a different you know time period you can make it a contemporary story you can put it in outer space you can make it from the point of view of the villain and make the villain the hero or just tell it from the villain's point of view um or different things like that um that really kind of add that new flair to it you know so like a touch of gold I did tell it from King Midas' daughter. Like, she never gets a story, right? It's always King Midas wanted the touch and Dionysus gave it to him or someone else gave it to him or whatever, like, different story you read. Um, and so it really is about making sure there's enough of the original in there that you kind of pay homage to it a little bit, but you're not writing it word for word um, because that's never going to be exciting for your readers. Is there, um, and you, you convinced me, by the way, uh, that being turned into gold would absolutely be terrible. I love the the, the PTSD um, and and the horror that uh, Cora experiences, recurring uh, imagining of, of of having her heart turned to gold and stopping. I was oh my god, that that does sound awful. I I will not sign up for that. Um, but without spoiling, I don't think because it's pretty early on in the the series. Uh, we learn that of course um, shortly thereafter, uh, the king gets word that hey, if you wash everything that you touched to turn into gold dummy, this one chance you get a do-over and uh, everything will come back and not be gold, including your daughter. Uh, and of course, a whole Midas screws that up too. <laughs> but I'll leave that to the reason. Was that from anything or is that purely Annie Sullivan original to keep the story going? That is a combo, actually. Um, so um, water is kind of very important often and um has been described as something that is too pure to kind of be like touched by magic right so i think in some versions of the myth i want to say he does survive on water um because it was like the only thing he could he could get down um so like that was something that i wanted to really incorporate and i did incorporate dionysus who is the one in, in most of the original myths who gives him the touch um or i call it the touch you know to, to turn things to gold um but most of that the rest of it yeah like throwing it in the river that was just me being like, all right, well, let's take that water element and kind of up it and say, like, if water you know, was, was, was pure enough not to turn to gold, then that means you could wash it in the river as long as the god made it, like, the special, you know, special time. Um, so, yeah, it was kind of like a mixture there of, like, what I did versus what was in the myth. Um, and in the original myth, I don't ever think he actually turns his daughter back, so... It was just kind yeah, of Yeah, I thought she like, was kind of screwed forever. Yeah. Like, well, thanks for teaching your father about the <laughs> lesson. That was your life. <laughs> right, exactly. So I just wanted to give her a new life. I was like, you deserve a story and a life. So here you go. 
Yeah, but old Greek myths, they're, they're like that. Kids are always dying to prove a point or getting baked in pies. Times. I mean, Zeus had enough kids. So there, I mean, no, there were, there were people everywhere. So. Well, once you get past a couple of hundred kids, what's two in a pie? It's fine. <laughs> and now we turn to cannibalism. <laughs> it was just a matter of time. <laughs> No, I'm glad to talk about some of these things. I took this uh, very long, couple of long classes uh, in uh, on Greek mythology, and up till now, the only thing they've been useful for is when I play Assassin's Creed Odyssey. I could turn to my wife and say, "Oh, I know more details about this character." Hasn't <laughs> come in handy for much else other than the glory of knowledge. <laughs> yeah, I think the cool thing is you have to know the rules before you can break the rules, right? Um, so I kind of hinted that hinted very strongly that there might be some gorgons right in a curse mm -hmm. of gold and so i had to know how are gorgons created originally how many are there all these kind of things then i was like okay now that i know all of that how can i play with that how can i create more um that kind of stuff you know it's just like looking at what's there um and there's another creature well there are a couple creatures that show up but there's another one that shows up related to the gorgons um that i'm not going to give away um and so, yeah, I think it's just really important to see, like, I did a lot of the research into how that other creature was also created um, and how you would get Spoiler, more. it's and a robot wolf. <laughs> <laughs> what? How did you know? <laughs> it's all up here. <laughs> yeah, I thought you uh, the other day because uh, there was a, sh this is coming up, but I propose nothing. Uh, but uh, Amazon was showing Sharktopus versus Werewolf. Oh my, I didn't know this was a thing. So I had to watch it immediately. I'm like, I'm sure Annie Sullivan's seen this five times. But just in case she hasn't, I need to let her know this movie exists in the world. I mean, okay, wait. I've seen Sharktopus. And I think mm -hmm. there are like a couple Sharktopus movies. But this is Sharktopus versus, did you say Were Whale or Werewolf? Whale Wolf. Part Werewolf, part Whale. <laughs> <laughs> oh, problems for Sharktopus. Don't worry about that. <laughs> Although I still think my favorite is the six-headed shark. Okay, have you seen that one? Oh yes, absolutely. This shark, you guys, esteemed listeners, if you have not seen this excellent shark movie, it's a shark with six heads, and it's so smart it uses two of the heads or four of the heads—I can't remember—to walk on land. So the heads function as legs and i know you can't see my video right now but i'm doing a really good rendition of it um <laughs> with my fingers uh, look it up guys six-headed shark it is phenomenal no we will put that imitation on on youtube far and wide for all to see <laughs> <laughs> that must be shared with the world we that's gonna that. be great they'll be like what is annie sullivan doing i'm like guys i was a six-headed shark okay <laughs> as soon as that costume comes out of inflatable six-headed shark costume it's on its I way have, to your house there's no budgeting around that you gotta have it <laughs> i have a hammerhead shark costume and i actually have a group of friends i actually call them my shark week friends because we meet up for shark week um and we can't this year so i'm so sad um oh. but when they came last year i greeted them at the door in my shark costume and we had shark-shaped cookies um oh i got those wine glasses that have sharks inside so if you put like red wine or fruit punch for those of us who don't drink inside it looks like the shark fin is swimming in blood super cool guys like i go all out for shark week okay <laughs> august 9th this year 
August 9th, guys. Be ready because you know I will be. Ah, <laughs> uh, when uh, when all this quarantine is behind us, I will uh, I will have to find a way to get myself invited to your Shark Week party. That sounds excellent. <laughs> you should. It's a very sought after invitation. Okay. <laughs> Well, before I derailed us with with talk of uh, of <laughs> werewolves, um, uh, we were talking about Greek uh, mythology, and I'm, so I'm curious when you're borrowing these uh, elements um, that you know that are accessible that uh, anybody that's played Assassin's Creed or uh, Odyssey will <laughs> be familiar with. Um, what? Uh, how how are you doing the research for them, and how much do you say? It's another version of the same question I asked you before, but how true do you feel you have to be to the original myths of those characters, especially if they're not the main focus of your story? I'll just say I like to play with them. Like, I mean, if you think of Percy Jackson, like, Mercury Gordon does a lot with different Greek mythology characters in a more modernized setting, right? Um, and I really loved what he did. And so... I kind of like sometimes will take cues from him and be like, okay, well, he did this, so I can totally do this. And honestly, it's about having fun with it, but still presenting it in a way that is, you know, respectful of the original mythology, um, but provides you something new. So I'll just give you a little spoiler alert, because I've already talked about this. And I, this is one of the, the things I had the most fun with, again, was the Gorgons. And so how I said we created Gorgons. And so... Um, in the original myth, I think it was just, like, the gods creating them. Um, like, they turned Medusa into a gorgon. There are three gorgons originally. Um, but in my version, any time a gorgon is killed, so, like, when Medusa got beheaded um, and her head was thrown into the ocean, um, you know, she's got all these snakes on her head. So in my version of the mythology, the way a gorgon reproduces is as soon as the head is cut off, the snakes can go free, and each of those snakes grows into a new gorgon. Oh, very um, good. Yeah, so like that, I was like, there you go, right? Just like that. And so anytime, <laughs> this is going to come important for my characters, anytime you cut off a head, you're just going to start creating more Gorgons because the snakes are going to escape everywhere. It's like chucking a gremlin into the sea. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yep. Although I don't know how many snakes can, uh, can Medusa fit on her head. Is there a specific number? <laughs> there is not. I should I should look into that. I should be like, there are seventy three snakes on a on a female gorgon and a male gorgon's got like I don't know. No. That just sounds too complicated. Like they're just all just gorgons. They don't they don't have like a gender of any kind. They're just just gorgons. Run of the mill gorgons, you know, that you would find. Somewhere, someplace is an angry Greek mythology professor <laughs> arms crossed right now listening to us like I know the number of snakes. <laughs> I know, I know. They're gonna be like, according to the ancient carvings in Athens and wherever, and I'll be like, yeah, sorry, I didn't, I didn't look at that. So, <laughs> what I, I learned I uh, as like... an English major is that English professors and real true lovers of literature are just comic book nerds at that next level. <laughs> you feel yes. about proofrock the way people feel about Spider Man. It's fine, but just acknowledge that's what we're doing here. <laughs> right. right. Oh, and trust me, anytime you try to, like, play with Greek mythology or anything like that, someone somewhere knows more than you, and they will let you know when you're wrong, so. So how do you, how do you avoid that? What kind of research are you doing to make sure that you're, if, even if you're playing with it and changing it, if somebody does come up to you at a book signing and say, Annie Sullivan, why did you ruin my life when you changed this particular <laughs> bit of character? 
It'll be like, there were only three Gorgons. How did you create more? And I'll be like, well, uh, as you can see, it's a fantasy story. And that's kind of what I just leave with. I'm like, you know what? It's a fantasy story. It's, I say it's Greek inspired, right? It's not an original Greek myth. It's not, you know, sticking right to any of those stories. Um, and it's I, honestly like the King Midas myth, even though it does involve like Dionysus, it doesn't truly involve the other gods in a lot of ways that that they're involved in a lot of the other stories so it almost feels a little bit removed itself to begin with so and actually one of the things that I talked with my editor about early on in the process is do we take out the Greek mythology aspect altogether and I was like huh and I was actually against that because I said you know what I already knew for the sequel that, that certain things were going to be important and so that was kind of my, my reasoning, my rationale of keeping it. Plus, it does a lot of work on your reader's end that you as the author then don't have to do. Like, I don't want to create a new sea god and name him, like, not Poseidon, but like, you know, Paul, the sea god Paul, you know. <laughs> and then I have to explain to you who the sea god Paul is and his powers and all this stuff. Whereas if I just say, hey, Poseidon's here you know right away who that is, right? If Zeus shows up, you're like, ah, oh, sweet, Zeus is here. Not like random thunder god has shown up today, you know? So that for me- Although was now I'm kind, of, uh, I'm kind of in love with the idea of a seagull named Sea Paul. I like it. <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> That's a really <laughs> <laughs> we can we can add that into our story with robotic wolf. We got this. <laughs> <laughs> we have a whole novel, a series, I think, by the time we're done here. <laughs> so when uh, when did you know that there was going to be a sequel? Did you always have one in the back of your mind as you were working on Touch of Gold? Was it after the fact? No, I um. So I'm a pantser. When I write, that means I fly by the seat of my pants. I don't plot my books. So I literally got to the end of the book. I wrote the last scene and I was like, huh, okay, this actually needs a sequel. So that was when I knew. Um, now I try to plan a little bit better. I at least try to know going in that like, this will have a sequel. This will not have a sequel. So like Tiger Queen, standalone. Um, <laughs> it's actually way easier to just write standalones. I know everyone loves series, but... Um, I kind of like one and done a lot. It just, uh, I like to enter a world, give you a story, and then pull back. I mean, I have some ideas for some other series, but um, it's all about finding the time. So, gotcha. So, this you had the idea, possibility, but then after the book came out and everyone said, My God, this is the book we've all been waiting for, <laughs> and, and the world stopped, and everyone was reading. You remember, esteemed audience, you were there. <laughs> uh, so that happened and then it's oh my god we, we, we have to get a sequel right away or at what point do you go from there could be a sequel to I'm definitely writing the sequel um I had kind of a different timeline than most authors had so I actually had Tiger Queen already written by that point because they tell you I don't know why they I mean I know why they tell you this but they always say like if you sell your first book in a series don't write the second one until the first one sells because you go through so many edits and things that it almost makes the second one like almost not even worth having written, if that makes sense. Um, and so like, it's a lot of wasted time. So they tell you not to write the second one until the first one sells. Well, in the meantime, I had written Tiger Queen, right? And so Tiger Queen was like ready to go. And they're like, do we wait like eight months and let Annie write this next book and get that edited and everything? Or do we just get Tiger Queen out now? So we got Tiger Queen out. And then that gave me time to write the sequel. So actually what they did 
is so I had a one book deal for a curse of gold or sorry for a touch of gold and then they did a two book deal for a touch of, for tiger queen and a curse of gold so that was kind of like lumped together it's like hey we want both and I was like sweet awesome oh worked out nicely okay so then you got a book to promote yeah. and time to write the sequel yes and while I will say a curse of gold does tie up princess Cora's story there are some loose ends i will say i would think if nothing else spinoff novels uh would could be an offering <laughs> i love spinoff novels i think those are fun like i mean because this especially as you will see in a curse of gold this becomes a very rich world um with a lot of new characters um a lot of kind of new insights and in how this world works and the people in it um and the variety of people in it so i think um that opens a lot of doors um, as well that I would I would love to explore, even if it's just in like a little mini story or like a little giveaway incentive or something like that. So how do you keep track of your world from one novel to the sequel, especially since you had another one in between? And I'm assuming that there were at least some revisions uh, going on with uh, a touch of gold from your original story to the, the final version that was even more superior. Um, but I know me personally, I get a couple of different versions going in my head and I got to remember which one <laughs> esteemed audience actually got. <laughs> I have to yeah. keep all those details straight. Sometimes it can be hard. And like, I, I never reread my books, but when I was working on the sequel, I would go back and spot check a few things just to make sure they're wearing the same color of this or the same thing as that, or they wear this the same way, or the hair is, you know, mentioned as the same color, all those kind of things. Um, those are the only things I would go back and spot check in the novel. Um, but I keep a lot of it up here. Like I told you, this is why I'm fine being a hermit because like, I got like 40 different worlds stored in here at any given time in my mind, for those of you who can't see where I'm pointing. Um, and so, yeah, <laughs> I keep a lot of it all up here. This is a very, busy place to be in my mind um i'm not good at writing things down <laughs> fair enough <laughs> well, I know. <laughs> <laughs> see and it's so funny i went on tour with um lauren mancy who wrote the memory thief and she is a complete plotter to like a t like she has like color-coded post-it notes of what happens in her novel and i'm sitting here like the kids are like, okay, so she has post notes and outlines everything. And they're like, they're like, Miss Sullivan, because they all call me Miss Sullivan. And they're like, Miss Sullivan, how do you write a novel? And all the little kids ask me, and I'm like, uh, I just write it, and like, whatever comes to me, I just write. And they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. Does just that make it. your uh, revision process take longer, or are you pretty good about revising as you go? I pretty much revise as I go. Like I can't move forward in my novel unless what comes before it is like perfect. Um, meaning that like, I won't leave characters unnamed. I won't, like if I realize something on, in chapter six that affects what happens in chapter four, like I realize, oh, the character's actually this way instead of like this, I will just go back and start again and write to that point. And then I might get to, to like chapter eight and realize in chapter eight that the something someone says is like, oh, that's a really cool thing. I need to foreshadow that earlier, put that in earlier. And then I'll go back to chapter four and then I'll write it again and reread through it all the way to chapter eight to make sure that that little thread is now perfectly woven through and not just like plunked in there. Like I write a very clean first draft. Like my first draft is pretty much like almost ready to go to my agent. I usually have like my sister and one beta reader read it first. Um, oh, sounds efficient. 
<laughs> that is a good word for me. I strive to be efficient on all fronts. And so like, I, I like to tell people my writing style is like Happy Gilmore, you know, the Adam Sandler movie. He's a golfer. Of and course. he hates putting, but he's really good at hitting the ball really, really far the first time. That's me. I'm, I'm really good at hitting the ball really, really far and getting really close to a hole in one. But then when I have to putt, I hate it. So going back to the Lauren Mancy example, because we shared the same editor, Lauren Mancy and I, and um, she would get her edit letters and cry tears of joy. because She's like, I get to revise this is my favorite part. And I'd be over here being like, I get my edit letters and I just cry. And they're not tears of joy, guys. <laughs> so that just shows you I hate the like the putting the like let's tap it in there let's make it a little better and I'm like no no I'm just like hole hole in one one and done we're good Um, I mean obviously I'm not doing it right right I'm like it's good enough and they're like no it's not I'm like all right fine (laughs) I definitely do revise guys um I highly recommend listening to your editor um but I I don't know it's just that's just how I write I can't like Oh, if you made me like color code my novel, I don't even know what I would do. I would just give up. I'd be like, that just sounds horrible. Like, I don't want to be a writer anymore. I know. I'm like <laughs> sitting here thinking about it. I'm like, oh. there's just like no joy in that. See, I think that's, I was discussing with some with this with someone the other day. And if I plot my novel ahead of time, it's no fun for me because I know what happens. But if I write it as I go along, then it's just as fun for me as it is for the reader. And if I'm having fun, you're having fun, right? Um, and if it's new to me, it's like, oh, that's cool. I didn't see that coming because I didn't know it was coming. Like, so. Fair enough. So, yeah, that's just, that's how I roll, guys. Take it or leave it. May not work for everybody, but it works for me. Uh, should we name check your uh, editor since she's done such hard work and making sure that the uh, books are from close to perfect hole-in-one to all the way perfect hole-in-one? I've had a few over the years, but the most recent one was um, Hannah Van Bells, Van Hells, I can't even say her last name right, um, and Jackie Alberta. She helped a lot, too, at Blank, so definitely thankful for them. And um, for my agent, Krista Heschke at McIntosh and Otis, um, she's always a good champion of mine and who uh, reads things. And my sister! who finds all my stupid mistakes. Well, the one of those names that the esteemed audience needs to worry about is uh, Miss Heschke, who was a previous guest on the show. Go find that episode. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> yes, yes. I love her. So check her out. If you're querying, definitely, like, you can drop my name. Be like, oh, I heard Annie Sullivan on Middle Grade Ninja, and she said you were a great agent. Love that. Yeah, yeah. Say Andy Sullivan said this, and then I heard your interview. And uh, basically, what I'm getting at is Middle Grade Ninja is amazing. Anyway, here's my pitch. <laughs> I, I, mean, start I always look forward to coming on here because I know we're going to have fun. Well, I saw you uh, said something that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you saw this, said this, I think, I don't know if it was Twitter or Facebook, one of the two. I'm actually on a forced uh, social media diet right now. So I uh, went uh, back on and, and, and risked getting re-addicted just to prepare for this this interview. I've taken uh, Facebook and Twitter completely off my phone. And I have dedicated times during the day where I open them up. Otherwise, I'm closing them. I'm done. I don't need to wake up every morning and read the anxiety of the whole world. And that's how I start my day. It's terrible. But 
I uh, went into that that awful world to stalk you a little bit and see what you've been up to. <laughs> so they have interesting things to ask you about. And I saw that you are on chapter, or you were, as, as of this post, you're on chapter seven of a new project. And you said, I have this thing where if I can get past chapter eight, I can usually finish writing the story because it means I've got enough of the world built and it's functioning as it should. How does that work? Yes. I mean, you pretty much said that's how it works for me. Um, so when I'm writing about, again, because I'm a pantser, so I don't plot this out. I don't know the rules of the world or anything. I don't even know my characters until they appear on the page and start talking to each other. And that's how I discover who they are. Um, and so the beginning definitely takes me a lot longer to write. Um, because I'm learning the world, I'm learning the characters, the rules, how these people interact, how they feel, what their motivation is, um, and who's standing in their way of that motivation. Um, and so if I can get to chapter eight, I can usually go all the way. Um, I've had a lot of stories that I've abandoned at chapter three, four, five, six. Um, but if I can get to that chapter eight, it usually means that enough of that world is working together because again like I said I go back and reread and reread to get to like forward um it means that like everything is still working whereas if I get there and I'm just like this is not working I usually don't know how to fix it and it, it's at a point where something is just irrevocably wrong it could be the character is not right setting the world something is not right and I can't fix it which sounds like terrible to be able to fix it. But sometimes it's just something is, is wrong. And sometimes I might go back to those stories and rework them and, and save them in a way. Um, but yeah, if I can get to chapter eight, it's like, okay, we've got a pretty solid world. We've spent 20,000 words, one fourth of the book. Um, Cause that's where I am right now. I'm at 20,000, 21,000 something words. And I'm on chapter seven, still on chapter seven, guys, it's fine. <laughs> Gonna get to chapter eight. Gonna get there. Um, but yeah, if I can get to that, then it's like, okay, we've got a solid world. We've got solid characters that we've met. And if we haven't found our motivation and our villain and everything by this point, then we're not going to find them. So all that to say, for me, Chapter 8 is a, is a very important turning point. And it's a self-imposed turning point, but it's kind of a mental thing as well. It's like, okay, like, look, I've got a Chapter 8. Like, it's fine. So... Or something of uh, if uh, if I were to stop now, I'd be throwing away a full eight chapters and twenty thousand <laughs> words. That's way too much time to be sunk. <laughs> I've definitely done that. I've done a few where it's like I got to like chapter six, chapter seven. I've done a few where I got to chapter seven, started all over, wrote it again, got to like chapter seven, wasn't right, started all over again and rewrote it. And I did actually finish that book eventually. But it needs some revisions, which, again, not my strong suit. So <laughs> this shiny new project was like, write me, write me. Because this other one was like, revise me. And I was like, I'm going to go over here and write this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that one's going to sit for a little while. <laughs> my agent's probably like, what happened to that one? And I'm like, what? Which one? I can't hear you. There's a bad connection somewhere. <laughs> so, sorry, hope she's not listening. <laughs> Well, speaking of uh, revisions and, and starting over, is there uh, anything uh, in either or any of your books, uh, but, but specifically within uh, Touch of Gold or Curse of Gold, that um, ended up on the editing room floor, didn't make it in, that you had wished to put in there? Yes, yes. There was a magical balcony in A Touch of Gold um, where the king 
would it was it was rumored that this balcony if you said a lie while you were on it it would crumble under your feet and reveal that you lied right and pretty much plummet you to your death so it was a pretty strong motivation not to lie and it was the the balcony from which the kings and queens would give speeches to the populace to the people um so it was a pretty important balcony and i really loved that and it played a really crucial role in the ending um originally and it had bearings on the sequel as well but my editor thought it just wasn't it didn't fit the magic of the world particularly well so we cut that out for that reason um so that was a little sad i've always loved that balcony and that idea maybe i'll come back in a different way in a different book someday man that really would have just that would have made the book so much better i didn't miss it until you told me about it (laughs) but i loved it i was like man and again like i said we almost took out all of the greek mythology but i i fought for that one and kept that in um there were a couple like characters i took out here and there stuff like that i added in a character that's a that's actually a surprise is um Spoiler alert for a touch of gold, guys. Um, I added in a character just to kill them off. And there's there's one character that dies that's fairly important. And my thought of it, so um, in a curse of gold. So when you see who dies, you'll be like, what, you just added them in to kill them off? That's really cool. It was really cool. But my agent said there wasn't enough at stake and someone needed to die. And I couldn't spare any of my favorite characters. So I just created <laughs> a new one. That's a lot of work. <laughs> so I thought they were in there from the start, and you went back and added them every little bit just to have. It's fantastic. <laughs> yep, yep. And those of you who know, you know who it is. It's <laughs> a huge yeah. amount of work. <laughs> but it didn't seem like work, did it? Because you couldn't tell. That's true. No, if you hadn't told me that you did it, I'd have had no idea. But that's... That's the magic of uh, writing. I get the one read through and I get to experience it. Oh, that looked like it must have been effortless. That, but that, <laughs> she must have sat down in an afternoon and heard divine voice speaking to her and just wrote down everything it said. And here it is. <laughs> it came to me fresh. <laughs> yep, yep. See, see all that magic, all that writing magic in these fingers. It's mine. So I've talked a little bit uh, about world building. You mentioned the balcony couldn't stay. Uh, because the magic wasn't consistent with the rules. So how? And this is something that uh, I'll, I'll be talking with uh, Marcy Kate Connolly about it as as well, because uh, I know she leads a whole workshop on the subject. Uh, so th- that's gonna. I'm talking to her this week is why I'm bringing her up. Um, it's it's going to be a week of learning uh, about magic world building for Rob and and for you as well, esteemed audience. We'll all have a good time. Um, how do you, I mean, it's magic. It's, it's, it's all bull crap. If you can have a shark to push, you can have a werewolf. I don't understand. <laughs> uh, why, uh, how, how do you go through and make sure that your magic is consistent? How do you decide what magic is allowed and, and what will work? Yeah. So actually, um, that's one of the hardest things that I do, um, when I start writing a book is it, first of all, is there magic or not magic? And if there is magic, it has to be like perfect in your novel because if your reader can come into your book and spot one thing that's wrong with your magical system, the entire book is flawed, right? It's ruined for that person. Cause they're like, what? why didn't they just do that? So like, you know, for example, if you have a character 
who has power since birth. And that's like, you know, what they're used to using as their weapon. And you need to get them from point A to point B and someone's chasing them and you need someone to chase them, but they don't use their power to just like stop that person. Like that's a flaw, right? Cause that is so inherent to them as a person. Like that's the first thing they're going to do. They're not going to like throw barrels behind them to make the person trip. Like they're going to use that power. So like you have to be so particular about when they use their power, how they use it. But like you said, you have to have an entire believable system because even though, yes, it is fantasy, it's all made up. It still has to make sense. It can't just be like, one day someone was born with magic and no one else had ever heard of it in this entire kingdom. Like, that just seems really weird, right? So you have to figure out, like, who has magic. So, like, in a touch of gold, the gods, the gods basically have magic, right? They have this power to do whatever they want and they can bestow things on you or take things away or turn you into a satyr or a grape or whatever they, you know, they want to do. Um, and so you've got to figure out who has power where does that power originate from? Um, like, do wizards have power? How do they wield that power? Do they have to have a staff? Do they have to say spells? Um, you know, can they mouth the spell? Can they whisper the spell? Can they sing it? Does it have a different effect if they do it different ways? All these things, you know, like you said, it can be an entire course on how to incorporate magic into your story in a consistent, believable way. And it is one of the, in my personal opinion, it's one of the hardest things to write about because you have to get it perfect. You know, like you cannot have holes in your magical system um, on, on any part of it. If any part of it fails, the entire thing is, the entire thing fails, basically. But. Well, I know you're not writing down a plot. Uh, we've refused to do it. But do you at least write down your magical rules or some kind of guide to keep that consistent? No, again, it's all up here. Pretty much and if I check your hard drive, I got to find something other than multiple manuscript drafts. There has to be some file or something. No research notes, nothing. Nope, nope. I will occasionally, crazy. I will occasionally make like when I'm like mostly through a story, I will sometimes go through and um, like just make little plot points. I'm like, okay, here's where we've been. Like, if I'm stuck, I'll be like, what comes next? So I have some of those notes, but it's yeah, it's not like research. I don't, I don't write down anything like that. I don't. Yeah, no. It's all in the story. It's there. Like, if you need it, it's there. Well, I feel like Salieri learning that uh, uh, Amadeus uh, Mozart doesn't uh, make multiple notes. on. He just writes one note down like he's taking dictation. I already felt a little bit inadequate because I love Tiger Queen. I love Touch of Gold. I know that you're an excellent storyteller. But now it's even worse. You don't need notes. <laughs> I've got to get your brain. It's a supercomputer producing stories. <laughs> yeah, and this this is why I need my sister, though, because, like, you know, on page one, they got blue eyes, but then by page 46, oh, look at his green eyes. And I'm like, well, yeah, I didn't write it down. I don't remember what color he, he eyes he has. So, like, that's when my sister comes in extra helpful because I'm like, yeah. Actually, right before this call, I had a few minutes and I was like, Making, I was trying to actually make some like notes because I have like a big cast of characters in this thing I'm working on, and I got to the point where they're about to be introduced, and I was like, man, I don't know anything about them. So now I'm like, what if I just like give them names? Will that help? So I'm trying to just like write down names and maybe like hair colors or something, um, so I like know who these people are. But that just seems like a lot of work. So I didn't get very far. <laughs> Oh, this is fascinating. 
<laughs> so fun being a writer, guys. <laughs> Honestly, no, I can't. Like, if I wrote things down, I would just lose them. Like, I, I'm a very tidy person, though. So, like, I would just put them in a drawer and then I would never find them again. So, got to keep it all up here. I do. I will say this. I have a story idea document on my phone. So, when I do come up with story ideas that I'm not, like, writing actively, I will put them in my phone. And that's, like... 40 pages single space right now if you like printed it out and do, does i mean do you go back through it often enough to find things that you then can write about i have a bunch of amazing ideas in there and i just never ever go back to it and, unless i'm putting a new idea and then i'll like scroll back and be like oh that's a cool idea oh well i'm back to this thing like so yeah so I can never lose my, I do email it to myself. It, like anytime before I go on a big trip, it gets emailed to myself just so I have it just in case I lose my phone or something, but I've never lost my phone ever. So. I'm assuming you're backing up all manuscripts, all drafts, everything that's eventually going to go in the Annie Sullivan library um, is, is being backed up in a cloud or someplace. Uh, I'm not good with the cloud. <laughs> um. I actually was having um, issues on my work laptop today and they might have to send me a new one. And the guy was like, well, you've backed up everything to OneDrive, what, right? And I was like, oh, I've never actually opened that on my computer, sir. Like, um, <laughs> anything that's important enough, I email it to myself. Um, so every couple of, it used to be, I would email it to myself every single night. Um, but now I've gotten lazy and I'll just do it every like once in a while, I'll email it to myself just so I have it multiple places. Um, cause I don't want to be that writer who goes back into her burning house for her computer. Um, you know, don't want to do that. But, um, I also like, I get oddly like paranoid about losing my computer when I'm working on something that I really, really love. Um, so it stays with me a lot of the time. Um, and again, I'm not going many places. So it's like, yeah, I'll just come to my parents' house with me and hang out there, you know, like, um, which is fine because I've been helping out with them too, um, helping them order a bunch of stuff so that they don't have to leave their house. Um, so it works great. I'm like, I'll just bring my computer and that way it's here. Because, um, yeah, we would actually went through a string of break-ins, like break-ins, um, like a year ago. Um, that was pretty scary in our neighborhoods. So now I'm always like, what if they take my laptop, which they, like, don't want it. Like, plus there's, like, nothing to steal in my house except, like, I mean, they don't probably want my books um, and my collection of teapots, which means nothing to them. I mean, they're not even, like, expensive teapots. They're, like, cheap. Some, and some of them are, like, fairly nice. But most of them are, like, I got this at Goodwill for $1.99 and it's shaped like a house, but it's a teapot. Like, so, you know, I got that. But um, long story short, guys, I don't keep notes. And I keep my computer with me so that no one can steal it, okay? Good good times. <laughs> I think we've just given your worst enemy the exact information they need to know to, to ruin your life. Just get that laptop. Right? <laughs> when, uh, without saying in, in specifics, we're both uh, Hoosiers. And when I lived not too terribly far from you in that neighborhood, we talked about wink, wink, wink. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I had I lost the first ten chapters of all together now because I hadn't backed that one up 
and, and thank God uh, it was only 10 chapters. If it had been more, probably uh, the version that the esteemed audience got was probably better. So I, I wrote him better the second time. Uh, but if it had been like 25, 30 chapters, eh, it might have just been time for a new book. Um, so it was, it was good that it was low on, but I, I got the chapter, I got the laptop stolen, and my wife calls me, she's in tears, she's like, oh, we've been robbed, our our beautiful 3D television's gone, all your video games, I said, oh, not my video games, uh, and I said, but honey, are my Batman action figures still there? She's like, nobody stole your dolls, they're fine. Like, okay, well then it wasn't that bad. <laughs> We're gonna be all right. Right, like, they take my TV, like, okay, that's more that motivation to read. Thank you for removing the distraction. <laughs> right, right. Like you can have my TV, but like you come for my books, okay? Because like now that I'm like an author and I get to go to all these events with like super cool authors, I get all these signed copies. So I'm like, they're not stealing my signed copies of my books, you know? Like one, like they would even want the books. Two, they wouldn't even know which ones are signed. So. I love to imagine careful thieves that would pull Luch one out to check. <laughs> that one's on the pile. This one, no. <laughs> so I have like a couple bedrooms in my house and one of them is just pretty much kind of empty. I actually call it my Instagram room and it's my costume closet. That's where all my costumes are. Um, but for a while there, I had like all these elaborate setups around my book so I could take Instagram pictures. And it just looked like I had like a giant shrine to my book in this room. And like, you know, I would have like workmen come and like, you know, work on the air conditioning or do something in the attic and they'd walk by this room and just see this giant massive shrine of stuff around like tiger queen with like tiger paraphernalia and all this stuff and they're probably just like well that's a weird one like just keep walking guys so <laughs> i don't know i like to think my weirdness just scared them away but you know that and my alarm system so just be warned oh, guys really? try to rob me i do have an alarm system so and five ferocious dogs and a bunch of AK-47s in a case. And the one under your pillow. Nobody tried to rob Annie Sullivan. <laughs> I don't. This is going to sound awful. I don't have guns, but I have a lot of swords and daggers and machetes, which sounds really weird, guys. I know. The swords. Okay, so, like, I studied abroad in Spain in high school. Super cool program. You lived with a family. You were only allowed to speak Spanish or you got sent home. Um, so, like, yeah, total immersion. It was awesome. And at the end of this program, we went to Toledo, which is known for its um, um, its metalworking. And so we, like, all bought swords, you know, as one does. And so I had this amazing sword. Um, and then my mom had some old swords. And so I just, like, kind of, like, commandeered them for Instagram pictures and stuff. So I've got, like, a collection of swords. I've got a really cool Egyptian dagger. Um I've even got, for those of you who can see video, I've got this, like, weird little, like, I don't know if these are supposed to be, like, little toothpicks or what, but there's, like, this little sword carrier thing. Um, I don't know. I like that Definitely thing. Awesome. I like the hand. Yeah, they're super cool. Um, again, so I've got, like, little things all over. And then I have a machete that is not mine. When I moved in, the previous owners of the house, like, left this giant machete in the master closet. So I was just like, okay, I guess I'll just keep the machete. So... <laughs> You can't throw it out. You never know when you I, might need a machete. I know. So now I have a machete in my master closet for no reason. Because I'm like, I don't know what to do with it. You guys can comment. Give me comes, uh, I had a friend that um, aspired to uh, martial arts. And he had a bunch of martial arts weapons that he would train with. And he actually did have somebody come into his house. 
uh, creep into the window while he was sleeping in his room. Um, and then the guy, I guess the guy came in while he was sleeping and, you know, despite having all the weapons and his training, my, my buddy mostly slept through it. Um, because he, but he had a, he had a camera, uh, recording, uh, because this is how paranoid he was. He, he recorded like it was paranormal activity movie. He recorded his room. So he knew that somebody had come in far enough to see all the weapons and then left. <laughs> so, uh, effective enough, I guess. So I just need to hang the weapons up instead of just like propping them in a corner. That's what you're saying. Yeah, just make sure that they're they're visible. <laughs> okay, okay, all right. I have to work on this. I mean, I'm pretty short and unintimidating, so like, I need to work on like my battle cry or something in case someone breaks in. So. When they break in, you put your princess Cora away, and you break out your Katari, and you're ready to go. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh man, I'll just, I'll just, yeah, pull out some of her quotes or like evil things that I was gonna, I was gonna spoil things. I'm not gonna say that, but other people in the book would say so. Oh, you could spoil if there were, I don't know, maybe some Easter eggs uh, in the series that might be worth drawing attention to. I don't know if there are such things or if we would want to comment on them, even if there were. There definitely are some Easter eggs um, in my books, in most of them, actually. Um, I do it a lot with names, especially in um, A Curse of Gold, when you guys get that one. Um, But also I did it um, in Tiger Queen with some things. Um, there are some family stories that made it into a curse of gold. Um, yeah, there's a the time there's a your lot. father turned you into gold. Absolutely, <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I don't want people to know that because then they're gonna think we have more gold, and I don't want them to break in. We just went through that. Like, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, I definitely love. There's actually, okay, here's a fun fact, because I love, and maybe we talked about this last time, I can't remember, I love the old show, The Twilight Zone. And I think we did, yes, we spoiled, you spoiled the old Twilight Zone. Oh, yes, yes, I love it. Not everybody's going to listen to both episodes, go ahead, let's uh, let's, let's talk (laughs) Twilight Zone again briefly. Well, I just bring it up because in A Curse of Gold, there's one tiny, it's like not even a full sentence, it's like this tiny phrase within a sentence that... I put in there for my love, the Twilight Zone. And, like, no one will probably ever pick up on it but me. Um, but it's in there. Um, and I love it. And my editor tried to take it out. She's like, this is not a necessary part of the sentence. And I was like, oh, yes, it is. It is very necessary. And <laughs> we need to keep that line. And she was like, whatever. <laughs> keep being weird, Annie. And I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> Neat egg. So as so. your editor just accepted that she can uh, get you to comply and, and work along so long as she plays by your weird rules and leaves the, the little trophies, the, the little Easter eggs that are just for you, <laughs> you'll, you'll make the other changes. I'm editor and I, because, I mean, in my day job, I'm also an editor, right? So I'm a, I'm a proofreader. I have to be a grammar expert, all these kind of things. And so my poor um, copy editor and I will go toe-to-toe over, like, a comma. And I feel so bad because I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, it needs a comma. And she's like, no comma. And I'm like, add the comma. Like, so don't tell her this, but sometimes when she's not looking, I'll turn off track changes and then just put the comma back in and then turn on back track changes. Cause you know, when you edit the document, you're supposed to like track all your changes so they can see. Okay. It needs a comma. 
This is word nerd warfare. <laughs> it's so bad. It's like, and it's funny because I swear sometimes that she just takes it back out again and doesn't tell me. And then I'm like, oh, she took it out. And I'll put it back in. <laughs> and then I just kind of like, is like 50-50 on whose version is like the last one when it goes to printing. So, you know, it's So fun. then you have to both have to check, go back through and check to see which one of you <laughs> snuck commas in or out. Right, right. <laughs> No, we, we're not that bad, but um, yeah, sometimes I'm just like, no, it needs a comma. It has to have that comma. It's such an important comma. Uh, don't get me started on the Oxford comma like that. There's no debate there, okay? People just use it. It's like a mask right now. You need to wear the mask. Use the Oxford comma, okay? That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Some people are gritting their teeth and actively cursing us <laughs> as they're hearing that. <laughs> I know I wasn't in a, quite a shouting match, but there were definitely raised voices with a critique partner about whether the space should go ahead of the ellipses or after the ellipses. And the answer mm. is after, unless you're a monster. But <laughs> she disagrees. <laughs> right, right, right. Some people just like, they're so like, they're set in their ways. Um, it's so hard to change sometimes. So I get that. I get that. I'm obviously that way too with a lot of things. <clears throat> Oxford comma, which I mean, again, we're not going to go there, guys, because it's not a debate. I've had friends, I will say this. I'm very proud of this. I have a friend at work who was brought up on AP style, which does not use the Oxford comma. And <laughs> the only reason they don't use the Oxford comma is because back in the day when you actually typed set newspapers, you needed that extra space when you printed the newspaper, so you would take out the Oxford comma. That's, like, the only reason they didn't use it, you guys. And so, like, she grew up on the AP style, and I finally have converted her to Oxford and to, to use the Oxford comma again. And I'm like, see? It's just It makes everybody feel better. I would like to point out that we have talked about several life and death, like, <laughs> literal life and death issues over the course of this conversation. This is the most impassioned <laughs> you have yet been in this this <laughs> Don't come for my Oxford comma, okay? <laughs> Actually, you will see in the acknowledgments, I know it's in the acknowledgments for a touch of gold. I said to always use the Oxford comma. And you know what? There's a missing Oxford comma in the acknowledgments. <gasps> it hurts. It hurts. Was that the kind of thing where every time you go to sign somebody's book, they like, hold on, flip to the back, <laughs> add a comma. There you are. Take that with you. Like, just needed that one extra comma, guys. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, it's okay. It's, it can be one mistake. It's fine. It's in the acknowledgement, so at least it, like, doesn't matter. Yeah, I can see how, by how calm and, <laughs> and, and, and easygoing you are at this moment that it does not matter whatsoever. That's <laughs> not a concern. <laughs> oh, yeah. See, this is, this is why my company obviously pays me the big bucks when, you know, I send out those emails, because someone's got to know where the commas go, and that's, that's me, guys. So you want to hire somebody who's who's passionate about that sort of thing, who will go to <laughs> spy with another editor to make sure the commas are where they need to be. 
of course, the English language is, is constantly evolving and changing. My wife hit the roof here recently because they, they officially put irregardless in the dictionary, which I've yeah. been using uh, for years, mostly because I know it drives her nuts. So I, I will occasionally find my, my spot for an irregardless. And now it's not it's less fun because I'm not breaking any rules. <laughs> right? I know. I know. It's hard. It's like you got to keep up with all the new stuff. But then you're like, you know, do I use it? And like in my own writing, it's super cool. At work, it's harder because, you know, like for the longest time, the word Internet had to be capitalized. And so like I would catch so many like, you know, or even like, you know, we had this standardized thing of like email. Is email just, you know, one word or is it E hyphen mail? Like, and do you capitalize the E? Like all these things you have to like work out and have this like style guide for. And so as you know, as it's becoming more and more common and like things do shift. And so now I'm like, I'm okay if internet's not capitalized. Like I'm okay with that in my everyday life, but for work, I have to be on top of that. And I have to know like who's capitalizing and who's not like, are we on, on trend? Are we doing the right things? Like, yeah, so it is, it is a lot of work. And so it's something that I pay very particular attention to um in my day job which is probably why I'm so passionate about it because like you know the, it comes back to me if that content is not right um in some way I feel like you know that's on me so I did a um a soft uh, re-release and reissue of all together now uh when Walmart removed their hyphen oh come oh. on Walmart <laughs> but I didn't I didn't I didn't want to be wrong forever so that that hyphen had to go right right see it's all those little things like you just never and that's that's the nice thing about fantasy is like fantasy doesn't change per se i mean it's just like it's in a fantasy world it's all good you know so that's you also what i love right? there's no walmarts in the fantasy world that's that's where i'm writing from now on i've been right? burned before what's next yeah, mcdonald's ads an apostrophe get out of here <laughs> You can have that robotic wolf, and that robotic wolf can do whatever he wants in the fantasy world. Yeah, go to McDonald's and Walmart. <laughs> I mean, I assume that's where uh, a robot wolf would uh, naturally be inclined to go. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, I know where I'm going after this, and that's to watch um, Sharktopus first whale. How do you say whale were? Whale wolf. Whale wolf. Werewolf, and it's it's, it's honestly it's 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 not better. It's it's not as good as Sharktopus. So just set your expectation appropriately. It's Casper Van Dien is the star after he's um he's he's been around for a minute. And he's he's looking pretty rough. You could tell that they. I don't even know if 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 his makeup before the they filmed included a shower. He just kind of rolled out of bed like oh my god, how much are they paying me for this again? Fine. Oh no, it's Sharktopus. Casper Van Dien out. <laughs> See, the funny thing is i would do those movies for free okay like <laughs> sign me up i will be your like token little blonde girl who runs around and like it's like oh no we're gonna be eaten like ah, oh, like eat me i want to be eaten by a shark in your movie people like sign me up for this i will do it for free i will like i will pay you to like let me come out there and do this that's how passionate i am you know between us for comma and the shark movie so like, i mean you said the title and i was already sold i was like my expectations were already set. Okay, like I got this. No, I knew it. You and me, we're 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 right here. We're in sync when it comes to the important stuff. Yes. In fact, my Shark Week friends are going to be jealous if I watch this movie without them. But they can't come in my house right now. So eh, virtual watch party. Get your fin cup and I put a little bit of red wine in there. You're not drinking alone if it's a virtual party. 
<laughs> fun fact, I don't drink, fun. but I can I can put in my I have some red Gatorade. I'll just put in my red okay. Gatorade and be like, mm, guys, you're missing out. <laughs> All you need really. <laughs> you say it's on Amazon or uh, uh was, yeah. Um so I'm trying to think how long ago it was it's been like a couple of weeks. It's probably still on there. It better be because if it's not, I'm gonna be really disappointed. And then I'm gonna have to buy it. For Steve's audience, I know I recommended this one to you last time we talked, but I never get tired of recommending it. Crawl is right now presently on Amazon Prime. So if you oh, haven't okay. seen Crawl yet, it's it's actually a good movie. Not like this Sharktopus versus Werewolf, which I assure you is terrible. <laughs> Crawl is, is, is I, I feel obligated to recommend a movie that people that don't love terrible shark movies can also enjoy. <laughs> You'll watch the Navigators eat folks. Is crawl based on spiders or snakes or what is? Oh, that one's uh, alligators. Oh, alli- oh, okay. Oh, it's good. It's like a, with a big budget. It's 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 like, actually genuinely terrifying. Like Lake Placid level? Where are we talking? Like? Oh no, it's like um, I. It was my favorite movie of the year. It came out. It, it's a genuinely good movie. It's a. Uh, um, hurricane um, comes into a town and they the. The father and daughter get trapped in the crawl space of a house, thus crawl, which is terrible. We just call it alligators attack. Don't don't make people explain. It's called crawl, but trust me, there, there's alligators. But they're next to an alligator farm. Ah, oh, isn't that always the way? And the uh, alligators get uh, in the crawl space with them as well and chase them around for two almost two hours. That does happen. When I was in Africa, actually, we were um, uh, boating down a river. And our guide was saying how a couple of years ago, the local alligator farm flooded and a whole bunch of the little ones got loose. I mean, obviously there were already some in the river, but a whole bunch more got loose in the river. Yeah. And my sister and I actually did like a, it's like a mix between like a zip line and a bungee jump. It's kind of like you free fall for a while and then you swing. Um, and we did that over a river and there were like crocodiles, alligators. I always get them mixed up. Like just hanging out in the river, and I was like, "This seems safe. If we fall, seems fine." <laughs> well, round nose uh, is this the big giveaway: alligator versus crocodile. So as you're being chomped, let's kind of look down. Is it the nose rounded or is it pointy? If it's pointy, you are being killed by a crocodile. If it's rounded, it's an alligator that's polishing you off. <laughs> Isn't there something to do with like the teeth? Doesn't one of them have like teeth outside or something? Yeah, I think that's I the know. alligator, but it's been so long I didn't 100% swear to it. Right. See, I, I feel I like that's true. Maybe, maybe if I watch Crawl, I'll know better, you know? Well, this I mean, is uh, one of the hard lost. things. I don't know if this is true for you, uh, but for me, like if I'm researching something for a story, I know it intensely. I'm, I'm not going to go all presidential and say I'm the greatest expert that ever was on that subject, but I am as as expert as I need to be on that subject to get the story done and make sure it's right. I will have it down. But then the moment it's written down and I'm, I've edited it, revised it, and it's out in the world, I'm happy with it. I don't know those facts anymore because I've cleared them out to make way for the, the new facts that I need for the next story. It's very frustrating. I don't, does that happen to you or no, it's all up, up here all the time with you? Um, mostly it's all up here most of the time. But I, I would honestly also say, like, I don't do as much research as a lot of people. Like, I get what I need and I get out. Like... Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, but like something that I love though, like sharks, I could tell you like, you know, tons of things about sharks, but yeah, you asked me about an alligator or a crocodile and I'm like, I don't know which one is which. So 
So when uh, when are we going to get the Annie Sullivan Shark book? <laughs> I want to be on Shark Week, so I need to write a book. I need to write like some sort of book about sharks because I can tell you guys, like I just I don't know. I watched I watched way too much Shark Week as like a kid growing up. So imagine what like you know years upon years of watching all that stuff. You know, like do you know there's a cookie cutter shark? It's this little tiny shark that swims up from the depths. And just takes a bite out of something and then swims away. Um, and it like that's what they call it, the cookie cutter shark because it leaves like a little like almost like a cookie cutter like jagged circle in its prey and just takes a bite and swims away. So fun fact. I just wanted to give you a good story to tell the rest of your life. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, I don't think it really goes after humans or anything. Oh, the oceanic white tips. Those are the ones you gotta watch out for, guys. They're like the garbage, you know, cans of the ocean. They will, like, eat anything. Um, and they actually think that those are actually probably one of the most deadly sharks, and no one talks about them. Um, because, oh, this is going to get really depressing. But, like, they probably think that, like, um, was it, like, T-109? Like, a lot of the um, the ships that went down were all the oceanic white tips that, that ate a lot of those people. And that's why they're probably technically the number one killer, but no one can verify that. But Well, no one alive. Yeah, yeah, no one alive. So uh, watch out for those guys if you're in the middle of the ocean. They're probably the ones who are going to find you. So so be prepared. Watch Shark Week so you know how to fend them off, guys. Or watch Sharktopus versus Whale Wolf because uh, that sounds amazing and fun and educational. So, Or if you're in the Hoosier State landlocked, just stay out of the ocean. It's pretty easy. <laughs> I have mostly right. managed it. <laughs> well, what a, uh, I promised that we would talk a little bit about promotion. I try always to keep my promise to esteemed audience. Um, so I want to talk about promotion, not social media, because again, we, we covered that. Uh, you covered it uh, more expertly than it could ever be covered in episode 40. Everyone should be listening to it. <laughs> Um, but you've been on the road prior to quarantine, and now you're preparing to launch a book during quarantine. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, well, let's talk about your amazing launch party, because I've never seen anything like that uh, for Tiger Queen. Uh, how, well, you know, let's start there, and we'll eventually work our way to what your plans are for Touch of, I'm sorry, Curse of Gold, um, now that we're going to have to be doing, uh, doing a promotion through quarantine. Um, how do you get a launch party put together the way yours was for, for Tiger? How many people were there for people that weren't there? Um, there were a couple hundred, two or three hundred people there, which is actually smaller than a touch of gold. A touch of gold, there were like 400 people. Yeah, it was, we had to like start talking about like fire code limits, all this kind of stuff. And we, I mean, we knew that going in. Um, one of the benefits of, I guess, of being born and, and raised in the Hoosier State is, um, you know, I have a, a big network of friends, family, um, people here. Um, so yeah, it was so nice to just have all these people. So what we did at the book launch is obviously the cake is like the most important things for me because you guys, I love cake so much. Um, and so for actually for a touch of gold, and you can actually see all these pictures on my Instagram, um, a touch of gold, the cake was a, it's like the size of a wedding cake um, with like four tiers. And around the edge of it was um, a whole bunch of book spines made out of fondant. So it was edible. Um, and I got to pick all the books that I wanted written on it. And so it was just like these, these um, towers of books. And that was a ton of fun. Um, and then for Tiger Queen, it was a like life-size tiger that they actually thought it might collapse the table because it weighed so much. I think it was like the heaviest cake they've ever made. And they couldn't even tell me how much it weighed. It was just, it was a lot. 
Um, um, but and they didn't get to it for a while. I mean, the most of the first people in the line were getting sheet cake before they actually started cutting up the tiger. I don't know. I don't remember if uh, my son got to the actual tiger if he just ate all your sheet cake. <laughs> <laughs> but he had he ate his full. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so yeah, there were some sheet cakes shaped like the book, and then there was the giant tiger. Um, and we did the sheet cake so that, you know, some people could, like, look at the tiger for a while. And then we ended up with, like, half the tiger left, which is fine because my mom actually volunteers at a soup kitchen on a weekly basis. So we send all the extra cake down there. And we're like, have some delicious cake. And they're like, thank you. This is awesome. Um, so we do that. But, yeah, a lot actually goes into planning that. I mean, first, you know, you it, it it's like a team effort. Really, my my mom is, like, the main um, the main help there. She, you know, helps me coordinate because we always have, like, color-coordinated decorations and plates and napkins and tablecloths and forks um and for a touch of gold I even put up like a photo booth area um I can't remember if I did that for Tiger Queen or not but like you know I had brought in all these like gold themed props like a gold boa that goes around your neck and big gold glasses and gold crowns and things you could dress up and I really wanted it to just be a fun experience plus I knew the signing line would be very long to get to me um so I wanted people to have things that they could do while they were waiting that would be fun um you know, we did a lot of giveaways as well. And so one thing we did, we went to look, uh, a couple local companies and we said, hey, we're going to have this massive event. Would you like to just give us like a $20 gift card? You know, because the event's like right across the street from here. You know, people will know this area, but they'll, they'll come back here. Um, and so a couple people did that. So we put together some really nice um, gift baskets as well. Um, and yeah, it's just, it was a big party. We tend to do a lot of decorations and know a touch of gold we gave out um like golden bead necklaces to everybody um all that kind of stuff so it's it's a big production there's a lot i mean it's i like to say it's like planning a many many wedding like every time i do one which is a lot because i mean yeah you're thinking about no like, i've been to weddings that were not as nice as yeah. you're signing <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah it's definitely a lot that goes into it um um, just, you know, ahead of time from the planning, from even the day of, like, I have a schedule written out for everybody of who needs to be where, when, what time, who's bringing what, who's setting up what, where, where are things going. Um, you know, I would walk, uh, it was at Barnes and Noble, and so I would walk with the store manager ahead of time and be like, this is going here, let's put this here, let's talk about how this goes here, and how the flow of the line would move and things like that. And so we had to actually, like, go in and walk through that all because we knew we would have so many people at these events. Um, and so this year, like we're getting to now, um, is going to be completely different. And I actually don't think I'll probably be able to have any sort of in-person um, launch party, which is super sad um, because those are always my favorite event um, because it's just full of people that I know and love um, who are there to support me. And it's just such a, such a special time. Um, and actually, um, in Tiger Queen, if you open it up, up your copy, um, you will see that one of the people it's dedicated to is actually my English teacher from middle school. And so one thing we did at the launch party is we surprised her. She actually did not know that the book was being dedicated to her. We managed to keep it a secret. And when her copy arrived a few days before the launch party, her husband intercepted it in the mailbox and was able to hide it from her. Until they got to the party and she kept being like, where's my book? Can you just give it to me? And he's like, oh, I got it in my pocket. I got it in my pocket. I'll give it to you later. And then we were able to surprise her in front of her family who they had secretly invited and honor her because she is the one who had taught me that short story, The Lady or the Tiger. Um, so we were able to kind of honor her in that way. So it, it, it is, it's a big production of like, at this hour we honor her and then this we do the questions. And so like, yes. And now it's going to be completely different. I'm probably going to do some sort of 
online launch party um, and maybe even a couple online launch parties. I know a couple of Facebook groups have have offered to host me. Um, so yeah, so keep uh, keep your eyes on my social media. We'll see what happens there. Um, I'm still working on pre-order giveaways. Um, I do love a good pre-order incentive. Um, you know, I don't know whether I know I'm, I have a couple of items already sort of picked out. Um, I'm waiting to hear back on a few more before I make um, final decisions. But I I love doing pre-order incentives because I think gifts gifts are probably my love language. So I'm like, yes, have a gift. You bought my book. Like, let me give something to you. Um, so I love doing that, and it's always fun to just kind of do that research. Um, and yeah, even just you know doing events like this amazing podcast, um, talking to people, doing anything I can to kind of get the word out about the book, knowing that there won't be as many opportunities as there were in the past to kind of go and tell people about it. Of course, this is your second appearance, so you know about the middle grade ninja bump uh, that you immediately experience. Yes. I can see it across your book sales like a tidal wave moving through. <laughs> so I'm sure that will be helpful. Um, what uh, what type of thing makes for a good, uh, I know you haven't finalized what you're going to be doing this time around, but what, 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 what makes for a good gift to give somebody that's not going to break the bank? Um, I think it really does depend. Um, my first book, I went really big. And so I actually gave out these little mirrors that were, they're gold and they're like little compact mirrors and they're shaped like a golden rose, which actually kind of mirrors, oddly enough, um, the cover of A Touch of Gold, which has a little um, golden rose and a golden hand. Um, so that was really fun because it was just such a nod to the book. And the book is all about like finding the beauty in yourself, you know, and loving yourself the way you are. So that was kind of just a really fun thing to do. Um, Tiger Queen, I did a enamel pin because those were super popular for a while. They still are pretty popular. Um, and that was fun. I did an enamel pin. I think I did a, a signed book plate, maybe a bookmark. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's what I did for that one. Um, and so I think for A Curse of Gold, I've got a couple different options, but I think what you want to find is something that encompasses your book, that, that speaks to your book. Um, and it could just be something, it could be something digital. I've done digital things actually for Tiger Queen. I also gave away digital posters and um, digital printouts of what we call the creature guide to Accra because Tiger Queen is set in a very harsh desert with lots of creatures that I came up with. You know, there's like the fire leg fly, which is named because it lands in you, its legs are so hot, they like burn your skin and leave little burns. Um, there's the, the grieving spider, which is called the grieving spider because if you get bitten, everyone around you will be grieving because you're going to die. It's that poisonous. So it's all these creatures. And so, um, my guy, my editor was like, let's make a guide. And so it goes really in depth for those who want it to like, oh, you like this, this creature? Well, it can be ground up to make, you know, flour or something and bread. And this one is used to make red dye. And this one, um, you know, helps with headaches and things like that. So it was like, really in depth so there's gonna be really fun things that you can do i have a friend who gives away like different types of tea um with her with her pre-order stuff um i think flat things are easier to ship um i definitely go the more the expensive route because i'm like i'm like gifts everybody gets gifts i'm like oprah i'm like you get a gift and you get a gift everyone um <laughs> but flat things and digital things are obviously much much cheaper um but yeah, it's just kind of like, what do you want? And then you have to decide if you're going to keep it, um, you know, local to like US, the can US Canada, are you going to do international? Because international can get really expensive really quickly. Um, so yeah, there's a lot that goes into to figuring out a pre-order incentive. And then you can even have on top of that, like, do you have one 
person who gets like a big prize that you choose and then like everybody gets things um so there's a couple different ways you can run them um but i tend to run my own so like if you were entering i'm the one oh, my mom helps she's a huge help um she helps me like address all the envelopes and stuff um and make sure everyone gets everything but yeah it's a lot that that goes into to making sure everything gets done but bookmarks are a good thing book plates especially nowadays you know the times we're in book plates are great because people probably aren't going to have a chance to get in to come see me anywhere because I'm, I'm not traveling um so book plates are a great way for them to kind of have a signed book even if i'm not able to to do that so that's something i definitely want to have on my pre-order um incentive is a signed book plate so that everyone who kind of wants that ability to add a signature to their book has it even if they can't come see me and this is, I mean, this is such first rodeo. This is book number three coming up. Um, and this is, a, I just imagine, a relatively significant investment up front because I know you're also running ads from our previous conversation on all sorts of platforms, and we'll continue doing that. And so how do you go about setting your budget and how do you make sure that you've made your money back plus your, your profit and all that good stuff? Or is it all like, we're, we're hoping that works out. We'll see what we'll see. <laughs> it's a lot of like, let's hope that works out. And then sometimes I'm like, I'll do another ad and another one. And then I get the bill and I'm like, what happened? I spend that much. Um, because those like $25 here, $50 here, they add up pretty quickly. Um, but at the same time, I always looked at my first book as an investment. I always said like, I will spend what it takes to, to hopefully get noticed, to get the word out there. Um, to get people talking about it um, because I want it to be a career, right? I don't want it to be a one hit wonder. And so I think, you know, you do have to, you, do, you have to invest money to make money often is the case. And so that's, I was not so much concerned with that. I kind of looked at like, Oh, here's the money we're paying you for this book. It's like, okay, that's my marketing budget, um, which I'm like, okay, I'll do that. Um, so I think that's kind of how I look at it more is, it's an investment to be able to do future books um, because this is what I love. I love to write. Um, and so, yeah, honestly, like I probably don't make much money at all right now, still, even with book three, um, because I do put so much into, um, you know, pre-order incentives, even just traveling. I mean, my, my publisher will often send me to one or two events, but I'm often doing eight or 10 events a year. And so those other ones are on me and I've got to cover that. Um, You're not charging the venue? Or having you at least kind of help out? I wish, but um, they're often like smaller events. Um, so they they don't cover those. So that would be nice, but hopefully, hopefully someday. Someday I'll actually get paid for this for this writing. So yes, please go pre-order my books so that I can uh, write more books. <laughs> What, uh, what 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 lies ahead? Have you got uh, anything you can announce or talk about beyond Curse of Gold at this moment? No, actually, which is so surprising for me because I try to like always have like an iron in the fire. And I think, um, like I said, I wrote that one book that needs revision and I was just like, I don't want to revise that right now. So I'm writing my shiny new thing and I'm loving it. And I really hope that if I can finish it, um, It'll be something that'll be really, really cool. Um, but it's just, it's just going very slowly. So it's going to take a couple more, couple more months to, to really. Are get you it going. finding that uh, now that you're living hermit life, uh, your your dreams have come true? 
Um, are you finding that that is speeding up your writing or slowing you down, or is it about the same? For a while, there was slowing me down. In the very beginning of, of being quarantined, I couldn't write at all. Um, and then I revised that one book and sent it off. So that also happened during quarantine. So I just recently kind of started this new shiny thing. Um, but then I kind of fell into a slump again um, with not writing as I should have been. And thankfully, I had a good friend, one of my Shark Week friends. Shout out to Savannah, Savannah Goins. She wrote The Glyphinian. You guys should check it out. Um, yeah, she actually was like, Annie, I'm going to challenge you to get to Chapter 8 by Thursday. Um, and that was like last week and I obviously did not get there. Um, but cause she knows that's like my breaking point, my kind of good, bad point. Um, but she's, she's been calling me every single week on Thursday now being like, are you there? Are you there? So she's been a really good accountability person to kind of like spur me on because I'm, I'm a very competitive person. So like, if someone says like, Oh, can you make this deadline? I'm like, yeah, I'll make that deadline. So, um, so yeah, it's definitely been helpful to have that, but, uh, but also, don't, if you're out there, if you're a writer, um, don't be too hard on yourself if things are not going the way you planned right now. Um, I think a lot of us are having trouble writing. Um, that seems to be a common theme. Um, so, yeah, so I'm just working on this new thing. Super excited about the premise. Um, but, yeah, not going to share anything because it's still, still so early in the process. You never know. Last time we talked, I already asked you about flying saucers, and you gave us a pretty swell flying saucer story. I don't know if you've seen any since that that previous episode. I don't think so. I mean, you never know for sure, but I don't think so. Well, something I've started doing is expanding that question to include, have you ever seen a ghost? Because I've discovered that who is your author see ghosts like on the regular? I did. Uh, I had the four authors from the Speed City Sisters of Crime on here for our Fourth of July episode oh, of Steam Audience. If you didn't, if you missed it, go back and check it out. We talked. We talked writing. We talked respectable <laughs> mystery plotting. Uh, but we got to, to Flying Saucers uh, and Ghost, and every one of them had a story. And I said, oh, my God, I love my state. This is, <laughs> this is why you want to be a Hoosier. So no pressure. But have you ever seen a ghost? I don't think I have. However, I will tell you right now. I don't know if you can see it. You guys who are listening can't see it. But in the background of my video, you can see I have this sculpture. And you can, again, find him on my Instagram. Um, I've nicknamed him Leonard. He is actually a sculpture of a tiger with a giant tiger paw coming out of a copy of Tiger Queen. A very cool artist made him for me. Um, her name is Eileen Boss. And he is situated in the corner of one of my rooms so that, like, as soon as you walk down the hallway, all you see is this white paw reaching out. And I, every, like, every time I turn around in that hallway, I could swear there's someone reaching out to get me. Um, I should just move him. Like, that would be the easy thing to do. But, you know, it takes effort because then I have to find a new place to put him. So <laughs> I've already, like, completely rearranged my house once during COVID. Um, so I'm already, I'm, like, on, I'm starting round two, guys. I'm, like, re-rearranging because I've run out of things to do. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no ghosts that I know of. So I'm sorry. I have to let you down on that one. No, keep an eye out by episode three. I'll be asking you about the Loch Ness monster, and by God, <laughs> we'll get hey, hey, oh. I do. I got that one, okay? Because I also studied abroad in Ireland, and when I was there, we went on a weekend trip to Scotland. Flew in this like 1980s plane, you guys. Like I don't even know how it still existed. Um, and we went to Loch Ness. I'm just saying, I got some pictures. I don't know, you guys. I don't know what's there, okay? I don't know. The mystery is. Yeah, yeah, 
You've got no. pictures that you're going to be sharing on uh, on Instagram <laughs> or someplace where we can we can see this Loch Ness monster. I mean, they're pretty blurry, and actually, like, I mean, it does look. I know what it is, but it does look like a monster. My sister's like, oh, "What is that? What is that?" And I'm like, "I'll never tell." So <laughs> I'll have to. Maybe I'll share some with you guys of, of little young Annie from like ten years ago. I don't know if it's 10 years ago. I can't do math. So. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie, we'll, uh, we'll end on this. I want to ask you uh, for uh, writer advice again, since like, I, I feel like we nailed that previously. Instead, <laughs> I'd like to ask you and kind of get a snapshot of Annie Sullivan about to launch book three. As of this moment, what's been your favorite thing about being an author and what's been your least favorite thing? Oh, man. I think my favorite thing is just like, <laughs> this is so awful. Actually, my favorite thing, if I'm not going to lie, is getting to meet all the other authors that I love. Like, you know, I get to go and meet, you know, Marissa Meyer or Stephanie Garber or um, Gail Carson Levine or like all these just amazing authors that I loved for years. And I'm like, oh, I'm in the same room with them. I'm on the same panel with them. Like, I ate um, seaweed with Gail Carson Levine, who wrote, you know, um, Ella Enchanted, all this stuff. And I'm just like, well, yes, that just happened to me, you know? So, like, I love that. It's so much fun. Um, but I'm also just being author, just writing stories. I love getting to use my imagination. Um, I probably could have done the one I don't like first, and then we could have added, like, ended on a happy note. But, um, I, I mean, it is, it can be a very depressing kind of um, job and very lonely. <laughs> I'm a hermit, I get it. Um, but, like, you do, you're often getting told, no, 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 you're not good enough. Like that is the hard part is getting, finding an agent, um, getting a publisher, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I probably said this in my last interview, but like, don't give up. Like if that's you, don't give up because you can do it. You know, you could be here. I that's And that's the other thing. It's like time goes so quickly. I cannot believe I have my third book coming out. Like it feels like two years ago I was crying. Like I'm not good enough. No one loves me. I'm never going to be published. And now here I am with my third book, you know. Um, so things can turn around so quickly. So don't give up, you guys. You can do it. I believe in you, and I can't wait to see you guys on Middle Grade Ninja in an episode coming up. We nailed it. That's the perfect way to end. <laughs> <laughs> That's two episodes. Boom. Third episode. Oh. A lot of pressure, honestly. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we okay. nailed I'm going to start twice. preparing now. Like, <laughs> get ready. Um, Annie, where uh, can the esteemed audience find you online? All that good stuff. Yeah, you can find me at authorannysullivan.com. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at A-N-N-S-U-L-L-I-V-A. Um, again, that's A-N-N-S-U-L-L-I-V-A. You'll immediately recognize my feed. It's full of Tiger Queen and a touch of gold and book stuff. Um, and I love to interact with people. So please send me a tweet. Send me um, an Instagram message. Anything. Like I'm happy to talk with you guys if you have other questions. Anything like that. There's also a contact form on my website that comes directly to me. So if you ever have questions about things or you just want to say like, hey, I love the book or where can I find more about this or that? Like, just drop me a line. Always happy to hear from you guys. She's available 24-7. If you want somebody <laughs> to read your manuscript, contact <laughs> no, no. But that is very generous of you to, to make yourself available. So I hope people will, will take advantage of the, of, 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 not take advantage, um, take you up on the author without taking yes. uh, advantage. 
Uh, as always, esteemed audience, uh, find me at Middle Grade Ninja Vacuum. You know who I am. Download your free copy of Banneker or Bones and the Giant Robot Beanies. Get a free copy of the Book of David, Chapter 1. Go back a few episodes and listen to me read it to you. It was quarantine. I was going crazy. What a wonderful thing to have done. Record your own audiobook. It was a good time. Uh, and that's it. God willing that I'm alive. I'll see you next week. Thank you.